Section 11 of Animal Heroes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April 6090, California, United States of America. Animal Heroes by Ernest Thompson Seton. History of a Jackrabbit, Part 2. 4. Next summer was a wonderful year for the jackrabbits. A foolish law had set a bounty on hawks and owls, and had caused a general massacre of these feathered policemen. Consequently, the rabbits had multiplied in such numbers that they now were threatening to devastate the country. The farmers who were the sufferers from the bounty law, as well as the makers of it, decided on a great rabbit drive. All the county was invited to come, on a given morning, to the main road north of the county, with the intention of sweeping the whole region upwind and at length driving the rabbits into a huge corral of close wire netting. Dogs were barred as unmanageable, and guns as dangerous in a crowd, but every man and boy carried a couple of long sticks and a bag full of stones. Women came on horseback and in buggies. Many carried rattles or horns and tins to make a noise. A number of the buggies trailed a string of old cans or tied lathes to scrape on the wheel spokes and thus add no little to the deafening clatter of the drive. As rabbits have marvelously sensitive hearing, a noise that is distracting to mankind is likely to prove bewildering to them. The weather was right, and at eight in the morning the word to advance was given. The line was about five miles long at first. There was a man or a boy every thirty or forty yards. The buggies and riders kept perforce almost entirely to the roads. But the beaters were supposed as a point of honor, to face everything and keep the front unbroken. The advance was roughly in three sides of a square. Each man made as much noise as he could and threshed every bush in his path. A number of rabbits hopped out. Some made for the lines, to be at once assailed by a shower of stones that laid many of them low. One or two did get through and escaped, but the majority were swept before the drive. At first the number seen was small, but before three miles were covered, the rabbits were running ahead in every direction. After five miles, and that took about three hours, the word for the wings to close in was given. The space between the men was shortened up till they were less than ten feet apart, and the whole drive converged on the corral with its two long guide wings or fences. The end lines joined these wings, and the surround was complete. The drivers marched rapidly now. Scores of the rabbits were killed as they ran too near the beaters, their bodies strewed the ground, but the swarm seemed to increase, and in the final move, before the victims were cooped up in the corral, the two-acre space surrounded was a whirling throng of scurrying, jumping, bounding rabbits. Round and round they circled and leaped, looking for a chance to escape. But the inexorable crowd grew thicker as the ring grew steadily smaller, and the whole swarm was forced along the chute into the tight corral, some to squat stupidly in the middle, some to race around the outer wall some to seek, hiding in corners, or under each other. And the little war-horse, where was he in all this? The drive had swept him along, and he had been one of the first to enter the corral. But a curious plan of selection had been established. The pen was to be a death-trap for the rabbits, except the best, the soundest. And many were there that were unsound, those that think of all wild animals as pure and perfect things would have been shocked to see how many halt, maimed, and diseased 
there were in that pen of four thousand or five thousand jackrabbits. It was a Roman victory. The rabble of prisoners was to be butchered. The choices were to be reserved for the arena. The arena? Yes, that is the coursing park. In that corral trap prepared beforehand for the rabbits were a number of small boxes along the wall. A whole series of them, five hundred at least, each large enough to hold one jack. In the last rush of driving, the swiftest jacks got first to the pin. Some were swift and silly. When once inside, they rushed wildly round and round. Some were swift and wise. They quickly sought the hiding afforded by the little boxes. All of these were now full. Thus five hundred of the swiftest and wisest had been selected, in, not by any means of an infallible way, but the simplest and the readiest. These five hundred were destined to be coursed by greyhounds. The surging mass of over four thousand were ruthlessly given to slaughter. Five hundred little boxes with five hundred bright-eyed jackrabbits were put on the train that day, and among them was the little jack warhorse. Five. Rabbits take their troubles lightly, and it is not supposed to be that any great terror was felt by the boxed jacks. Once the uproar of the massacre was over, and when they reached the coursing park near the great city, and were turned out one by one, very gently, yes, gently, the Roman guards were careful of their prisoners, being responsible for them. The jacks found little to complain of, a big enclosure with plenty of good food and no enemies to annoy them. The very next morning their training began. A score of hatchways were opened in a much larger field, the park. After a number of jacks had wandered out through these doors, a rabble of boys appeared and drove them back, pursuing them noisily until all were again in the smaller field, called the Haven. A few days of this taught the jackrabbits that when pursued their safety was to get back by one of the hatches into the Haven. Now the second lesson began. The whole band were driven out a side door into a long lane, which led around three sides of the park to another enclosure at the far end. This was the starting pin. Its door into the arena, that is the park, was opened. The rabbits driven forth, and then a mob of boys and dogs in hiding, burst forth and pursued them across the open. The whole army went bobbing and bounding away some of the younger ones soaring in a spy-hop, as a matter of habit, but low skimming ahead of them, all was a gorgeous black and white one, clean-limbed and bright-eyed. He had attracted attention to the pin, but now in the field he led the band with the easy lope that put him as far ahead of them as they were ahead of the rabble of common dogs. "'Look at thought, would ye? But ain't be a little warhorse?' shouted a villainous-looking Irish stable-boy and thus he was named. When halfway across the course the jacks remembered the haven, and all swept toward it, and in like a snow cloud over the drifts. This was the second lesson, to lead straight for the haven as soon as driven from the pen. In a week all had learned it, and were ready for the great opening meet of the coursing club. The little warhorse was now well known to the grooms and hangers-on. His colors usually marked him clearly, and his leadership was in a measure recognized by the long-eared herd that fled with him. He figured more or less with the dogs in the talk and betting of the men. Wonder if old Dignam is going to enter Minky this year. Fay, and if he does, I bet the little war horse 
will take the gimp out of her and her running mate. And I'll bet three to one that my old Jen will pick up the warhorse before he passes the grand stand, growled the dogman. And it's meself will take that bet in dollars. And more than that, oil put up a whole month's stuff that there ain't a dog in the mate that can turn the warhorse once it on the whole course. So they wrangled and wagered, but each day, as they put the rabbits through their paces, there were more of those who believed that they had had found a wonderful runner in the warhorse, one that would give the best greyhound something that is rarely seen, a straight stern chase from start to grandstand and haven. Six. The first morning of the meet arrived bright and promising. The grandstand was filled with a city crowd. The usual types of a racehorse appeared in force. Here and there were to be seen the dog grooms leading in leash single, greyhounds or couples, shrouded in blankets, but showing their sinewy legs, their snaky necks, their shapely heads with long reptilian jaws, and their quick nervous yellow eyes, hybrids of natural force and human ingenuity. The most wonderful running machines ever made of flesh and blood. Their keepers guarded them like jewels, tended them like babies, and were careful to keep them from picking up odd eatables, as well as prevent them smelling unusual objects or being approached by strangers. Large sums were wagered on these dogs, and a cunningly placed tack, a piece of doctored meat, yes, an artfully compounded smell, has been known to turn a superb young runner into a lifeless laggard. And to the owner, this might spell ruin. The dogs entered in each class are paired off, as each contest is supposed to be a duel. The winners in the first series are then paired again. In each trial, a jack is driven from the starting pin. Close by, in one leash, are the rival dogs, held by the slipper. As soon as the hare is well away, the man has to get the dogs evenly started and slip them together. On the field is the judge, scarlet-coated and well-mounted. He follows the chase. The hare, mindful of his training, speeds across the open, toward the haven, in full view of the grandstand. The dogs follow the jack. As the first one come near enough to be dangerous, the hare balks him by dodging. Each time the hare is turned, scores for the dog that did it, and a final point is made by the kill. Sometimes the kill takes place within 100 yards of the start. That means a poor jack. Mostly it happens in front of the grandstand. But on rare occasions, it chances that the jack goes sailing across the open park a good half mile and by dodging for time, runs to safety in the haven. Four finishes are possible. A speedy kill, a speedy winning of the haven, new dogs to relieve the first runners, who would suffer heart collapse in the terrific strain of their pace, if kept up many minutes in hot weather. And finally, four rabbits that by continued dodging defy and jeopardize the dogs, and yet do not win the haven, there is kept a loaded shotgun. There is just as much jockeying at a cascado coursing as at a cascado horse race, just as many attempts at fraud, and it is just as necessary to have the judge and slipper beyond suspicion. The day before the next meet a man of diamonds saw Irish Mickey, by chance. A cigar was all that visibly passed, but it had a green wrapper that was slipped off before lighting. Then a word, and it so came about that Dingnam's Minky gets done while it means another cigar. Fay, 
and if I was slipper, I could load the dice so Minky would fly or score in a pint, but her running mate would have had the same bad luck. That so? The diamond man looked interested. All right, fix it so. It means two cigars. Slipper Slyman had always dealt on the square, had scorned many approaches. That was well known. Most believed in him, but there was some malcontents, and when a man with many gold seals approached the steward and formulated charges, serious and well-backed, they must perforce suspend the slipper pending an inquiry. And thus Mickey Dew reigned in his steed. Mickey was poor, not over-scrupulous. Here was a chance to make a year's pay in a minute. Nothing wrong about it. No harm to the dog or the rabbit, either. One jackrabbit is much like another. Everybody knows that. It was simply a question of choosing your jack. The preliminaries were over. Fifty jacks had been run and killed. Mickey had done his work satisfactorily. A fair slip had been given to every leash. He was still in command as slipper. Now came the final for the cup. The cup and the large stakes. 7. There were the slim and elegant dogs awaiting their turn. Minky and her rival were first. Everything had been fair so far, and who can say that what followed was unfair? Mickey could turn out what Jack he pleased. Number three, he called to his partner. Out leaped the little warhorse, black and white his great ears, easy and low his five-foot bounds, gazing wildly at the unwanted crowd about the park. He leaped high in one surprising spy-hop. Hur! shouted the slipper, and his partner rattled a stick on the fence. The warhorse's bounds increased to eight or nine feet. Hur! and they were ten or twelve feet. At thirty yards, the hounds were slipped. In even slip, some thought it could have been done at twenty yards. Hur! Hur! and the warhorse was doing fourteen-foot leaps, not a spy-hop among them. Hur! Wonderful dogs, how they sailed. But drifting ahead of them, like a white seabird or flying scud, was the warhorse. Away past the grandstand. And the dogs, they were closing the gap of start? Closing! It was lengthening. In less time than it takes to tell it, that black and white thistledown had drifted away through the haven door. The door so like that good old henhole. And the greyhounds pulled up amidst a roar of derision, and cheers for the little warhorse. How Mickey did laugh! How Dingman did swear! How the newspaper men did scribble, scribble, scribble! By next day there was a paragraph in all the papers. Wonderful feat of a jackrabbit, the little warhorse, as he has been styled, completely skunked two of the most famous dogs on the turf, etc. There was a fierce wrangle among the dogmen. There was a tie, since neither had scored, and Minky and her rival were allowed to run again. But that half-mile had been too hot, and they had no show for the cup. Mickey met Diamonds next day, by chance. Have a cigar, Mickey. Oi, will vot, sore. Fay them so fine. I'd like to, thank you, sore. 8. From that time the little warhorse became the pride of the Irish boy. Slipper Slyman had been honorably reinstated, and Mickey reduced to the rank of Jack Starter. But that merely helped to turn his sympathies from the dogs to the rabbits, or rather to the warhorse. 
for of all the five hundred that were brought in from the drive he alone had one renown there were several that crossed the park to run again another day but he alone had crossed the course without getting even a turn twice a week the meets took place forty or fifty jacks were killed each time and the five hundred in the pen had been nearly all eaten of the arena the war-horse had run each day and as often had made the haven mickey became wildly enthusiastic about his favorite's powers he begot a positive affection for the clean-limbed racer and stoutly maintained against all that it was a positive honor to a dog to be disgraced by such a jack it is so seldom that a rabbit crosses the track at all that when jack did it six times without having to dodge the papers took note of it and after each meet there appeared another notice the little war-horse crossed again today old-timers say it shows how our dogs are deteriorating after the sixth time the rabbit keepers grew enthusiastic and mickey commander-in-chief of the brigade became intemperate in his admiration be jabers he has a right to be torn loose he has won his freedom like every american done he added by a way of appeal to the patriotism of the steward of the race who was of course the real owner of the jacks all right mick if he gets across thirteen times you can ship him back to his native land was the reply sure now and won't you make him tin sore no no i need him to take the conceit out of some of the new dogs that are coming thirteen times and he is free sore is a bargain a new lot of rabbits arrived about this time and one of these was colored much like a little war-horse he had no such speed but to prevent mistakes mickey caught his favorite by driving him into one of the padded shipping boxes and proceeded with the gatekeeper's punch to earmark him the punch was sharp a clear star was cut out of the thin flap when mickey exclaimed fay in i'll punch it for every time you cross the course so he cut six stars in a row there now war-horse Sure, it's a free rabbit you'll be when you have your thirteen stars like a flog of liberty head when we got free within a week the war-horse had vanquished the new greyhounds and had enough stars to go around the right ear and begin on the left in a week more the thirteen runs were completed six stars in the left ear and seven in the right and the newspapers had new material whoop how mickey hurrahed and it's a free jack ye are war horse thirteen always was a lucky number i never knowed it to fail nine yes i know i did said the steward but i want to give him one more run i have a bet on him against a new dog here it won't hurt him now he can do it oh well here now mickey don't you get sassy one more run this afternoon the dogs run two or three times a day why not the jack they're not staking their lives soy oh you get out many more rabbits had been added to the pen big and small peaceful and warlike and one big buck of savage instincts seeing jack warhorse's hurried dash into the haven that morning took advantage of the moment to attack him at another time jack would have thumped his skull as he once did the cats and settled the affair in a minute but now it took several minutes during which he himself got roughly handled so when the afternoon came he was suffering from one or two bruises and stiffening wounds not serious indeed but enough to lower his speed 
The start was much like those of previous runs. The warhorse steaming away low and lightly, his ears up and the breezes whistling through his thirteen stars. Minky with Fango, the new dog, bounded in eager pursuit. But to the surprise of the starters, the gap grew smaller. The warhorse was losing ground, and right before the grandstand old Minky turned him. And a cheer went up from the dogmen, for all knew the runners. Within fifty yards, Fango scored a turn, and the race was right back to the start. There stood Slyman and Mickey. The rabbit dodged, the greyhounds plunged. Jack could not get away. And just as the final snap seemed near, the warhorse leaped straight for Mickey, and in an instant was hidden in his arms, while the starter's feet flew out in energetic kicks to repel the furious dogs. It is not likely that the Jack knew Mickey for a friend. He only yielded to the old instinct to fly from a certain enemy to a neutral or a possible friend, and as luck would have it, he had wisely leaped and well. A cheer went up from the benches as Mickey hurried back with his favorite, but the dogmen protested. It wasn't a fair run. They wanted it finished. They appealed to the steward. He had backed the jack against Fango. He was sore now and ordered a new race. An hour's rest was the best Mickey could get for him. Then he went as before, with Fango and Minky in pursuit. He seemed less stiff now. He ran more like himself. But a little past the stand, he was turned by Fango and again by Minky, and back and across, and here and there, leaping frantically and barely eluding his foes. For several minutes it lasted. Minky could see that Jack's ears were sinking. The new dog leaped. Jack dodged almost under him to escape but back only to meet the second dog, and now both ears were flat on his back. But the hounds were suffering too. Their tongues were lolling out, their jaws and heaving sides were splashed with foam. The warhorse's ears went up again. His courage seemed to revive in their distress. He made a straight dash for the haven, but the straight dash was just what the hounds could do. And within a hundred yards he was turned again, to begin another desperate game of zigzag. Then the dogmen saw danger for their dogs, and two new ones were slipped. Two fresh hounds. Surely they could end the race, but they did not. The first two were vanquished, gasping, out of it, but the next two were racing nearer. The warhorse put forth all his strength. He left the first two far behind, was nearly to the haven when the second two came up. Nothing but dodging could save him now. His ears were sinking. His heart was pattering on his ribs, but his spirit was strong. He flung himself in wildest zigzags. The hounds tumbled over each other. Again and again they thought they had him. One of them snapped off the end of his long black tail. Yet he escaped, but he could not get to the haven. The luck was against him. He was forced near to the grandstand. A thousand ladies were watching. The time limit was up. The second dogs were suffering when Mickey came running, yelling like a madman, words, imprecations, crazy sounds. Ye blackguard hoodlums! Ye dirty cowardly basties! And he rushed furiously at the dogs, intent to do them bodily harm. Officers came running and shouting, and Mickey, shrieking hatred and defiance, was dragged from the field, reviling dogs and men with every horrid insulting name he could ever think of or invent. Fair play! What are your fair play, ye liars, ye dirty cheats, ye bloody cowards? 
and they drove him back from the arena. The last he saw of it was the four foaming dogs feebly dodging after a weak and worn-out jackrabbit, and the judge on his horse beckoning to the men with a gun. The gate closed behind him, and Mickey heard a bang-bang, an unusual uproar mixed with the yelps of dogs, and he knew that little Jack Warhorse had been served with finish number four. All his life he had loved dogs, but his sense of fair play was outraged. He could not get in nor see in from where he was. He raced along the lane to the haven where he might get a good view and arrived in time to see little Jack Warhorse with his half-masted ears limp into the haven. And he realized at once that the man with the gun had missed, had hit the wrong runner. For there was the crowd at the stand watching two men who were carrying a wounded greyhound while a veterinary surgeon was ministering to another that was panting on the ground. Mickey looked about, seized a little shipping box, put it at the angle of the haven, carefully drove the tired thing into it, closed the lid, then with the box under his arm, he scaled the fence unseen in the confusion and was gone. It didn't matter he had lost his job anyway. He tramped away from the city. He took the train at the nearest station and traveled some hours, and now he was in rabbit country again. The sun had long gone down, the night with its stars was over the plain, when among the farms, the Osage and Alfalfa, Mickey Doo opened the box and gently put the warhorse out. Grinning as he did so, he said, Sure in it, Ud Orland, that's proud to set the thirteen stars at liberty once more. For a moment the little warhorse gazed in doubt, then took three or four long leaps and a spy-hop to get his bearings. Now spreading his national colors and his honor-marked ears, he bounded into his hard-won freedom, strong as ever, and melted into the night of his native plain. He has been seen many times at Cascadel, and there have been many rabbit drives in that region. But he seems to know some means of baffling them for now, in all the thousands that have been trapped and corralled. They have never since seen the star-spangled ears of Little Jack Warhorse. End of section 11